This episode is sponsored by Kendo UI. Kendo UI allows you to build better apps faster. They have a comprehensive library ranging from data grids and charts to buttons and sliders. Plus, you can use their components as plain JavaScript as well as in Angular, React, and Vue. They have a large collection of customizable popular themes like Bootstrap and Material. Go check them out at reactroundup.com slash kendoui. Hello, welcome to React Roundup. Today, I'm your host, Nader Dabit. On our panel, we have Lucas Heish. Hello to everyone from New York. Uh, we have Sia Karamelagos. <laughs> Hello from New Orleans. And uh, today, our special guest talking about React and React Native, but probably focusing a little bit more on React Native, is Orta Therox from uh, Artsy. Welcome, Orta. Hey, everyone. I'm also from New York. Woo! <laughs> I love so, your New um, York accent. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's really, it's really stuck well. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to give us a quick intro for people that aren't aware of uh, who you are and kind of what you're working on at, uh, like at this point? Sure. Um, okay, so I have about 15 years of native uh, Mac and iOS development experience. And roughly two and a half years ago now, uh, the team that I used to lead uh, decided uh, maybe it would actually make more sense for us to write our iOS app in React Native. And so uh, I was part of the, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Let's build all the tools and figure out how we can make it work for, the, for our mobile team and helped uh, sort of understand the relationships in the JavaScript world a bit more. Prior to this, uh, I'd been running the dependency manager for iOS. So it's a pretty core like uh, de dependency for all these other projects. And so I had a, had a lot of relationships in the community from that. And so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what are those kind of relationships that we need for, uh, for, for JavaScript. Very cool. Um, so with all of the discussion lately about React Native, um, this is a really good time to have you on because I'm a big proponent of React Native. Um, I'm also a realist, though, so I'm always aware of like the uh, you know the benefits and the drawbacks of using something like React Native. But I think there's been a lot of really good discussion lately. Uh, ever since Airbnb, well, actually even before that, when uh, when when React Native, um, they on their website um, they posted a kind of overview of what is going on with the framework and like things that are changing. And I think that was actually spurred on by another thing that happened that week. Someone had tweeted out that Facebook was dropping React Native. I think that's what actually drew this entire conversation. And then um, someone from the Facebook team was like, no, and not only are we not um, you know, dropping it, we're actually investing in the morning. And they were talking about all the things that are happening over the year. And then Airbnb posted their blog post about they're dropping it. And then you posted a really, or, or your company, I'm not sure if it was you or not, posted a really in-depth uh, kind of summary of why you were liking React Native. So um, like, I guess to kind of kick off the conversation, um, can you just kind of give us like a summary of what you what your opinions are kind of around all this uh, discussion lately? Sure. Um, so I think a lot of the a lot of that React Native blog post um, actually is made to specifically address beta, native engineers' uh, problems. A lot of it's um, I, I like to think about it. If you keep up to date with React itself, you may have heard of uh, of suspense where it was like an idea where we would allow some sort of like asynchronous uh, rendering inside React component lifecycles. Uh, that is close to being the default for React Native. And the things that they're working on are actually the opposite for React Native. So it allows you to write synchronous code with native code, which uh, it actually frees up so many like problems that used to ex that exist when, when you start having big, complicated na native apps that integrate with React Native. 
Um, so like part of that feels like it was partly addressing a good chunk of Airbnb's general problems. Um, a, a lot of the things that they said was that it was, you know, we had these two very large toolkits. We had uh, a lot of engineers that actually were still, you know, there were still React Native engineers. There were still native engineers for iOS, native engineers for Android, native engineers, uh, web engineers that could like jump between a few of these projects. But it was never very obvious what kind of project fit well with which type of uh, of like technology. And so there was no like no coherent vision about what people should use something for. Um, and a lot of this comes from the kind of Sort of deep differences that exist between like native engineering in terms of like iOS and Android and like web engineering, and because they come from like very different cultures, have very different backgrounds and expectations, um, and realistically, like it feels like the native side of like Airbnb, for example, didn't really like get on board with React Native as being a better way to actually build apps. Um, Whereas like Artsy is the opposite approach. Like it was a bunch of native engineers that have very different constraints from Airbnb. Like it needs to be stressed. Like we think it's a better way to build an iOS app, not to build an iOS and Android app, not to deploy like multiple times a day or anything like that. We just think it's better to build the same thing we were previously building. Um, so it's much smaller scope, much much like smaller team. Comes from a a set of native engineers who believe that, like you know, we should own React Native and we should improve it when we find problems. Um, like Airbnb said the same thing, but they were they struggled with trying to get some of those commits back into React Native, so they had to continue using a fork. We had to use the fork of React Native for about a year before we could actually start working off like the main version of React Native. Um, and so I, I, it feels like like our adoption coming from a native perspective and and having every single native engineer agree that React Native is the best way for us to be writing anything. It has to be a special case for us to be writing something in native code nowadays. Um, like, for example, I built uh, an AR kit application, and I feel like whilst there's things like React VR or, or whatever, if you're going to build something on very new foundational technology, you want to keep things as vanilla as possible. And trying to like retro, not quite retrofit, but take AR kit and turn it into something that fits inside React's model well, like you need Facebook sort of resources to do that, which they did, but they built their own thing entirely for React VR, um, and so like that's just like, code that we wrote natively because it fit the, the 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 problem domain better than trying to say like what React Native is good for, which from our opinion is taking JSON and putting it on a screen as as efficiently and as like succinctly as as you can. So uh, within the company, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, I've been talking. I'll let you pick this thing. <laughs> So uh, I wonder if this has uh, a lot to do with the size of the team. Like we're talking about Airbnb with like hundreds of people working. So you can have like people focusing on like really small components of apps, maybe even whole teams working on like one part. And when you're talking about companies that you do not have like 10 people that work in the same app, maybe this is a scale issue, right? Maybe React Native solves really well for smaller scale teams and when you are when you are in the hundreds account maybe you can go like fine tuning more natively yeah uh, i mean the biggest counter example to that is facebook uh, obviously <laughs> uh, they're a pretty big engineering team um, 
But I feel I feel like the way that Facebook describe how they use React Native is that they describe it by like product verticals. So they say like marketplace uses it, the ads team uses it. They don't say like the Facebook app uses it. They don't say like Instagram uses it. Um, and I don't quite know if like you know because I don't know politics inside Facebook, but I feel like there are just sets of verticals where they say like React Native fits the the problem domain that we have, and so it allows us to you know build. We're sharing 90% of code between Android and uh, iOS, and we have a lot of native engineering that can help fill those gaps. Um, so yeah, I agree. It's very likely that Airbnb may have felt very reasonably that the size of their teams, um, because they may be structured very differently. Um, like React Native fits really well in, in my perspective with the type of apps that they're building, but I don't know their internal politics. And like they summed it up very reasonably in their articles. So. Good for them. So how do you balance, um, I guess, the need for, so your team is um, multi-platform. So how do you balance the need for, you know, professional development or training um, versus what's needed at the moment and keeping it um, broader rather than more specialized? I guess we kind of think of it as like there are product engineers and they build products across many different types of things. Um, prior to us uh, de-siloing the mobile teams, and that's our internal tool, the internal namings for this, um, we, we you know that mobile engineers working on iOS apps would never contribute to the server side of anything, and they would never contribute to the web side of anything, and nobody else would contribute to the iOS side of anything, and every single team was very, very vertically oriented. Um, realistically, from my perspective, professional growth since we de-siloed the mobile team has been like through the roof because your abilities have gone from being you know, a good iOS engineer to being still a good iOS engineer, but you're now contributing to the web. You're now contributing to like some of our uh, like service that, services that are not entirely owned by the backend team um, because we, we put a GraphQL API in front of all of our APIs, and that that. GraphQL API is owned by the front-end teams rather than by the platform teams so that then they can iterate fast and uh, sometimes it can go down, but uh, it, it, it's, it's owned by a different set of people so that the, the requirements are very different. Um, and so like professional growth has been like through the roof. Uh, for training, we've actually, we, we, have, we had to train, we had to train everyone, I think is the right way to think about it. Uh, the, I'll, give you, I'll give you the full story. So. We the process has been a multi-year process and still hasn't quite finished uh, from the adoption of React Native for Artsy. Um, what we what we kind of perceived at first was that we would test it out, see if it would work for us, and after like two or three months, that made sense. It felt it felt like a pretty good fit for the problem. Um, which our problem, by the way, was the idea that we couldn't we couldn't keep pace with the website. The website was regularly shipping features much faster. And uh, the iOS app had just eventually got to a point where we said we just can't keep feature parity. And uh, you know, we could throw two engineers for one web engineer on the same project if that project was important enough. And we had half of the amount of native engineers. So a lot of like, this thing is more important than this thing regularly. Um, and so we tried to fix it in Swift. And then we tried to fix it in React Native and React Native won because we got there faster. Code looks very obvious. And we could share like, domain knowledge with the web engineers. Um, so because it's all React and it's all JavaScript. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you we, lowered like your bottlenecks um, for getting stuff out the door, basically. Yes, exactly. 
awesome. Anyone can contribute anywhere, like within their domain, right? Anyone on the front end. I think this week has been one of like one of the most interesting weeks for us because there are more people with a background in web contributing to our iOS app than there are iOS native engineers at Artsy now. And they are doing a great job. Every now and again, they may need to pair with a native engineer to like do something that's a little bit tricky. Um, but most of it is like just shipping the same as like a web page. We like to describe our native engineers as basically being like the people that make Safari or Chrome. We build the browser for them. And they just, you don't need to know how to build a browser to make a web page. You just need to know that somebody out there is doing it. Uh, so there's still like a lot of useful native knowledge, but it's much less <laughs> valuable in the sense of what we're trying to build. And, you know, we're trying to build things and, you know, moving to a better abstraction makes everybody a lot happier. That makes so much sense. And I think that's kind of like the, I mean, that's the original like dream of like cross-platform development. And when React Native came out, it was um, a huge improvement over what we had. But, you know, at the time, there was still just a lot of stuff that hadn't been solved yet and a lot of pain and upgrading. And I think, like, I'm more excited about React Native today than I was the day it came out because I see all of the, the, um, the good things that we've had, but I've also seen all of the, the bad things that we've had. And I see that Facebook is addressing a lot of this stuff. And I feel like, uh, you know, we're at the point now where we're kind of going to be um, getting to, within a year, really a, a much better place than we are now. Um, if, if, if we want to go over to maybe some of the stuff, if you haven't read the blog post, um, so Facebook, they were addressing, you know, some issues that were had um, with the, the um, existing, like, infrastructure, I guess, behind React Native. Um, so they're doing three main things that are going to be kind of different. Uh, I guess they're going to be releasing, like, a, a new version. Um, I don't know if it's just going to be, like, a breaking change or what, what this is going to look like, really. But um, they're going to first. They're going to be changing the threading, the threading model. So basically, instead of um, there being um, just three threads, uh, you'll be able to do something asynchronously into uh, JavaScript on any thread. Um, I don't really know exactly how that's going to work, but that's kind of just what they've stated in their blog post. Maybe Order um, has a little more technical knowledge behind this stuff. And then second, um, they're incorporating async rendering capabilities into React Native to allow multiple rendering priorities and uh, to simplify asynchronous data handling. And then finally, the, this is a, a big thing. Uh, they're going to be updating and simplifying the bridge to make it easier and uh, more lightweight to communicate between JavaScript and the native side. I don't know a lot of the technical details about how this stuff is going to be implemented, but the potential um, impact if these things are addressed properly is going to be huge. Yeah, I think the third one is one of the ones that will actually address what is arguably one of the biggest problems in in like adoption of React Native. I'm air, I'm air quoting for people that can't see, um, <laughs> and that is like navigation is something that is just a bad abstraction in in the React side of Native from my perspective. Um, and part of that is not like entirely the problem of uh, of like the of of people making libraries and things like that, but that there's a literal limitation at React Native level of the sort of work that they can do. And the, the, simpler, uh, the simpler bridging model should fix that. So the problem of which, native, you know, which React Native library should I use for navigation may become not the trade-off of like, do, you know, this thing isn't quite great or this thing isn't quite great, but it's like, these features are awesome and these features are awesome. And I think it will raise the barrier a lot for that. So you mentioned that um, you you had mentioned that um, 
you were bringing it into your uh, your organization, and you had um, you know X number of employees that were kind of going to be working on this stuff. But I'm kind of curious. Um, there has been some discussion around like um, whether like iOS developers and, and native Android developers are um, like open to adopting React Native. Like, how was that in your company? Did you have any pushback? And if so, like, how did you address it? And, and I'm kind of curious the um, the type of personalities that you had and how they handled stuff like that. Just kind of curious about that. That's very, very reasonable to be curious about. Um, so I, I think... I think I think it's best to go through the entire story for this. Uh, we I talked earlier that we had two two experiments for trying to figure out like better abstractions to keep up with the web. Um, one was what the one that I worked on with someone else, um, and the other was React Native. Uh, so I was one of the first people that needed to be persuaded that React Native made sense because I wasn't involved in that at all. I just watched it uh, while I was building a separate product entirely, um, and. It came from somebody who I trusted a lot. He his his name is Alloy. He's like the original creator of CocoaPods, the dependency manager for iOS, and he went to go work on something called Ruby Motion um, for uh, maybe a year or two. So he has a lot of knowledge about like system building tooling systems to build apps. Um, so when he said like we should try react native we're going to prototype it in such a way that if we decide to drop it it will be two lines of code to drop in our native app and no one will ever know a difference um and so he built all this system all these systems all these integrations and it never touched our ios app the app only added three or four extra lines of code to get the react native stuff in and then that was it that was that was everything so, I mean, that's a pretty elegant way to introduce a new technology into a system to abstract it so well that if you are working inside the original system that you don't even notice it. Um, and like one of the ways that we did that is by using CocoaPods. It's shocking that we would be using that as an abstraction, but we just made a, a dependency that kept all of React Native in a completely separate repo. So people could work on that in their own like any way they wanted without actually like air quotes polluting the main repo of our native apps. Um, so from there, uh, it, it, we then had to start actually persuading uh, our the rest of the native team. So we had three people uh, other than the two of us that, that needed persuading. So one of them uh, did take some time. He, there's literally a blog post uh, from a fellow called Ash Furrow that's li that is actually like how I was persuaded that React Native is a good idea. Uh, that basically can be summed up as once I tried it, my mind was blown. Um, and like some of these things are so simple. It's like, you know, fast hot module reloading, showing Jest. Jest, Jest is just so spectacularly better than anything in the native world. Um, that it's like we can start writing tests again. Um, there's, and then we moved on to like one of our final people to persuade actually was uh, like she always identified as like a kind of designer developer. And so like switching technologies underneath her isn't quite like switching technologies underneath like a developer with such a focus on building a thing. So she really enjoyed the fact that like she had a, a sort of tool for prototyping instead of uh, like being a tool for so much like heads down programming. Um, and then eventually just kind of grew to love sort of the layouting system, the way in which she could now mentor people into these code bases. Um, and so it wasn't quite as strict as like, you know, 
your native skills are now directly translated, but more that like you can grow as a person because so many more people are going to be involved in this project. Um, and so like there was many different ways in which people kind of got persuaded into it. I think one of the interesting aspects of this is actually the the training part of this. So we introduced React Native, um, and we mobile folk at Artsy are extremely tooling oriented. Um, so what we did was we built out what we considered to be a very, very perfect setup for building React Native apps. Uh, that took about a year. And in the course of that year, we then said, okay, hey, web developers, your backbone uh, like CoffeeScript apps are great, but do you know what's better? This exact setup that we've just made on, on React Native, it's worked out really well for us this, in this way. So what we did was we created an exact copy of, our, of this system for web. So they have their own um, version of like a components library that they import into this like CoffeeScript app that has like TypeScript, Relay, styled components. Um, and so it has all the exact same technologies. And that, that, again, that took about a year to get right. And now we're like two and a half years in, we're starting to think about like, so how do we merge these things? Um, but we had to train every single web engineer on the, like, what we now call the artsy omikaze. Like, you know, there's so many choices in JavaScript world. So if you just want to not think, or if you want to have, like, then this is the stack that we have chosen from years of development. Um, and so we did that by like series of workshops, by lots of pairing, by having people on the web team being really inspired by the like the the, the tech, the aims of these multi-year projects, um, and just being like you know overly communicative about what we want to do and how we're going to do it. Uh, and now we're like trying to figure out how to write a write a sc two screens that are like we're going to write it first for web and then we're going to try and port it to iOS, like aiming for as similar code base as possible. And those things were just like, they were just discussions nobody could have had previously. And the way that we can do it by slowly adopting these technologies and by like slowly improving the lives of everybody involved in the project means that we can, you know, get everybody happy and get everybody like feeling productive and get everybody jumping between projects a lot more. So everybody feels like they're growing in some sense. Yeah, uh, I find it really interesting the part in the beginning saying like it was really easy to just turn it off. Yeah. So I, I believe that every time we try a new technology, when, when we have this turn off thing and we are really clear, communicate like, okay, so if it's fail, we have a way to, to, to roll it back and things like that. This is, this, is, this makes like the, the, the room much more like, <laughs> You know, it's everybody is, is kind of tired of problems. So you're building like a new thingy that people still don't know. And then you say like, no, it's okay. If I press this button, we go back to our previous world. This, this makes everything like much easier to talk about after that, right? It takes off the risk. Yes, it de-risks it. That is the perfect metaphor. And like, it's, sometimes it's really hard to make technology that, you know, that you can, you can do that with. And I think, you know, we were just very lucky that we already had all of the internal skills to be able to pull off, like, how, how we could build an, an abstract area native in such a way. Um, but, you know, if you improve your tools, then you get these kind of abilities. And that's, that's part of why the open source community is so, like, 
so easy to engage with and so so valuable as like a resource for all programmers. This is this is uh, also another uh, characteristic that I like a lot of React itself, the React model, even web or native, is uh, when you the component model makes it really easy to isolate one part of your app or anything. So like if you want to start experimenting with anything, you can just isolate the part in your React tree and you, I don't know what to do. Like you can run another language inside of it. You can go super native. You can go and then you can just remove that if everything, if something happens. This is another benefit I also see from this component model. Yeah, one of the things that like it, it just seems so 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 plain and simple, but is always worth referencing is just like what a great abstraction React is. Um, you know, going back to working in native code, uh, like so, that's what I've done for the last four months. Is so it's so unrefreshing to like go back to you know adding this this view removing this view changing the state on this one keeping track in like state machines making my own versions of props and states in order to deal with things just like the idea that react like the reconciler handles so many of these kind of problems for you is just like a great abstraction and like when we saw like when we native engineers saw react and was like okay that's really impressive and then when we saw relay we were like down okay now now we we know that like this is something that we're willing to spend three months exploring in order to see if that could work for us and i think um i think your perspective comes from like being uh, native engineers and building native stuff in a real world um, environment where you have a bunch of contributors and you've seen like the issues that are uh, that react native was trying to fix in the first place so it's like uh you know the main things i hear when I'm doing training, and, and, and you were mentioning um, like some of the, I think you had mentioned like adoption or something uh, earlier. There's like, uh, we do training and we've had a massive increase this year in, in leads from enterprise companies like Salesforce, Amazon, Microsoft, all these uh, credit card companies that are adopting React Native this year. But um, the, and most of the people in the room are native engineers because they're experiencing issues with um, Build times, it's it's costing them a lot of money for the build times because um, their developers cost a lot of money. So when their uh, builds take 10 or 15 minutes, that increases their cost. So like that's one thing. And of course, the cross platform thing. But um, but like I think that the perspective of like this is just trying to, to help you become more efficient. It's not like um, anything other than that. <laughs> like it kind of comes down to that. Yeah, I agree completely. Like. You know, we're, we're, we've been building this iOS app now for five or six years. Uh, our build times are about maybe 10 minutes from, from a clean compile, which is relatively rare. But like an incremental change is like 30 seconds. And, you know, when I bring a designer over and we try and iterate on something, and like the AR is a good example of that because the values are just so weird to, to, and hard to scale because they're in like meters. Uh, so like 0.01 is maybe what we want. Um, like waiting for 30 seconds to see if that changes is actually what we wanted is super frustrating. Deploy more, pay less with DigitalOcean, the simplest all-in-one cloud computing platform for developers. Scale and run cloud applications faster and more efficiently with effortless administration tools to robust compute 
flexible configurations, networking services, real-time alerts, and rapid provisioning while enjoying industry-leading price-to-performance with a flat pricing structure across all global data center regions at any usage volume. Spend more time building better web apps and less time worrying about managing infrastructure with DigitalOcean. Build your next app on DigitalOcean. Get started with a free $100 credit at do.co slash roundup. One question regarding the language itself. I, I see a lot of people, uh, mainly from iOS, because Swift seems like a really nice language. Uh, and a lot of people complain about JavaScript. So how, how was that handled and what happened? <laughs> sure. Okay, so this one's... This one's like my opinion, man. So <laughs> take it as, with a little bit of salt. But Swift really didn't solve a single one of our problems. Like it was, it is close to being the exact same type of language as Objective C and has a few extra features. It is, you know, closer to what people expect a language to look like, which is great. Um, but realistically, if you are building an app, Swift does not solve any of the types of problems that you actually have on a day to day basis. Like there's the one thing it does much better than Objective C is like nil checking, which is great. Uh, in fact, like Objective C had such an opposite approach to nil checking that like that's why a lot of people got caught up in Objective C for reference. Like you can send, a, you, you know, you can do like a function on nil uh, to give you a metaphor, and and that and that doesn't crash. That is not just not crashing. That is considered a feature of Objective C. So if you know if you know and understand this constraint, then you can actually write code very elegantly. However, you have to have everybody assume that they really deeply understand that. And realistically, no one really understands that. So Swift like made that very specific, which is great. Um, but honestly, like it didn't provide better abstractions. And like I didn't need a better language to write my apps in. I needed better abstractions to write my apps in. And you know, a better a better language is still a better language. And but like you know, it increased build times. It drastically increased complexity in build in building an app because you have now like bridging across Objective C and Swift. The like your tooling got very complicated, and Apple had to recreate a ton of it in order to make it work with Swift and Objective C. So suddenly, it was very very unstable for a long time. Um, and then and then you come to JavaScript. So. My opinions on JavaScript are, uh, are, are pretty reasonable. I, I think that it's a language that's like 27 years old, has a lot of baggage and history, but I think that it's a community that understands this and writes better tools to fix these problems. Like most of the problems that people talk about with JavaScript and like, like that talk, what? Like half of those things you could never ship because you have so many tools telling you this is just totally not okay that like you know it's like i could probably if, if a compiler didn't tell me i could write bad swift and i could write bad swift most people just don't run a compiler on it um so if you use typescript or flow with eslint or tslint you're basically getting the same like structural integrity in a programming language as you generally get with some of the stronger typed languages. Um, like realistically, TypeScript is now pretty, like by a reasonable margin, my favorite language. They keep improving it on a monthly basis. I can incrementally adopt things. They've accepted pull requests on me a few times. And like we have meetings with the, 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 the TypeScript team occasionally. Like that is like a, an amazing like way to interact with people that create a language. 
Um, whereas like on the Apple team, they do it in the open. Yes, and they do RFCs and it's open source, but they have so many people to be involved with that it just like, we can't get any kind of like relationship out of that. And they are Apple, so their work has to be semi-secret and semi-public at the same time. Whereas TypeScript's just like, yeah, here's our roadmap for whatever. Like, this is what we're going to try and build. We're going to build VS Code in the open, and we're going to build it with TypeScript. And so we'll see all the, the domain problems that people are actually having. We're going to try and map JavaScript to a type system, which is like mind-blowingly odd problem. Uh, so like when you see the new monthly updates, so like yeah, we're going to add these ghost type things that do inference on a boolean whatever. And you're like, wow. And then you find out that was just so that they could map one function in Lodash, probably. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like JavaScript is like a much more productive environment for me uh, because of like all these levels of tools. And it's hard to like compare something like Swift that doesn't have something like Prettier to JavaScript, which has like, I don't argue about my formatting. I don't even think about my formatting. I press save and it formats it. Done. It's an entire like class of problems that are just not even a thing anymore. It's awesome. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's a, a great answer. And so you use TypeScript with your React, React Native code. Okay, that's very interesting. Yeah, we we I I don't think we were the first, but we were definitely the first to do it. Uh, air quotes correct. Um, so we we started building out this kind of um, like you know we built it all in memory. Prior to this, people would like compile their TypeScript and then have React Native pick their, their compiled files out and then try and work from that and have some hacks to make sure all these folders are in sync. But we, we so we just sent the PRs, got it working, and now TypeScript to React Native is like good enough that there's a blog post that an artsy engineer wrote on the React Native blog about how to do TypeScript in React Native. And the React Native team are like, this is awesome. The TypeScript team are like, this is awesome. And it's a good example of like, Two teams that like somewhat compete, right, with Flow, but both are just like it's better that everyone can make a choice. It's the JavaScript world. It's a buffet. I really liked um, how you talk about just becoming more efficient, like as um, an engineer. And I mean, it, it is about shipping code, but it's also, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound like the um, the you know the CEO only worried about costs, but it really does help out if you can do things faster and more efficiently. Cause, um, I used to joke like in my, some of my old jobs that my job was just to, um, uh, make it so that they didn't need me anymore. But of course that never actually happens. It just, you end up becoming a more vital part of the team because you always figure out like that next level of making, <laughs> making yourself obsolete, but it's not really that you just learn a way to make things, better and faster and then you actually become a greater person but it is difficult cause sometimes because some people are resistant to change um, but yeah that's a really good this is a really good uh like slide into um the resistance to change we uh so we we regularly as artsy effectively do art outreach because companies ask us very regularly to come and talk to their native teams about like how they got how we got to this place, whether this still makes sense for them. They can ask us questions. So next week, based on now being recorded, so probably after this recording, we, we've ran or are running a React Native conference in London, specifically only aimed at iOS developers. Uh, like, Not many conferences have like a, an hour and a half Q&A session halfway through it, but like 
we just figure people have, will have so many questions after like the first few talks that like we should try and address as many of those as like in one single place, well recorded, well easy for people to follow, so that like we can help people understand like that the adoption of this is not necessarily a negative thing, and they're not de silo well they are not de skilling themselves, but they are de siloing themselves to be able to work on better and more interesting problems. Uh, I. Uh... I have another question uh, regarding uh, adoption of technology in, in, in a company because uh, I've worked in, in two companies that, that had like this uh, very opposite way of dealing with technologies. In one company, every team of, I don't know, seven, six, seven people had its own stack choices, right? And it was great because like every team had the, the opportunity to innovate really fast, really simply without needing to change all these products. It's all contained, but it was really difficult to share knowledge. It was really difficult for one team to help another team when it's needed, right? And I also worked in, in a company that it was the opposite. It's like every team used the same stack. Like if you want to, to start a project, here is our boilerplate, here's our style guide, uh, here's our fetch function, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. So, uh, and this is very interesting because you can uh, move people among teams, you can help each other, and sometimes you build something that can be easily shared. But on the, on the other hand, you feel very constrained to, to, to look for new solutions, like, oh, everything is style components, but I found this... I don't know flaps components yeah. that I want to try, and it's difficult. So how do you, how do you find the balance? Like how how do you how do you keep innovation growing on small team contained with small teams, while still like making sure that everybody share code and knowledge. So there's I guess I guess there's the the artsy way, uh, which is like we're. Growing complicated business. Um, uh, Artsy is roughly four businesses in one as a startup. Uh, in case anybody doesn't know, uh, Artsy brings the art world online. So that effectively means that's galleries, fairs, institutions like museums, um, auction houses, all of the ways in which you could think to buy and sell art, like Artsy does it. So that leaves an awful lot of range as well as like an awful lot of depth. So like for us, the way in which we try to think about tech stacks is that there are like kind of stable tech stacks that can change maybe every five to three years. Uh, so like the iOS app moving to React Native is one of those changes. The uh, like the website adopting like the sort of React Native artsy omakase JavaScript setup is one of those big changes. Um, but if you're building like a kiosk app that's gonna that that isn't on the critical path for anything other than that one business, then that can be in some like esoteric. As long as you can train a few people and that your bus factor is okay for that project, then you can try it in Scala. You can try it in Swift with functional reactive programming. You can you can try something that feels like a good fit for that domain. Um, so like yeah, there's definitely. Maybe it's unique to Artsy's domain because it's because we've got breadth and depth. Um, but breadth stuff fits very well for innovative new ideas, and depth stuff fits very well for consolidation of tools and uh, you know agreeing for all of us, all of our sakes, to not change these things so often, so that we can get some stability. Because once we have that kind of stability, then we can start like thinking again at tooling higher level of abstractions. 
like since you know once once we got every single engineer that was doing front end to start using VS Code, then it became worthwhile for us to both like ship code back to VS Code and to make our own extensions for our own problems because every engineer was going to be using them. So it was worth the time investment. And you can't really do that if you allow a lot of exploration in every direction, but you can if you believe that there is a critical path that people will try to consolidate on. We oh. lost another. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, so uh, that brings me to to uh, another question about a. I saw you wrote about it in the in the blog about the focus on open source that yes. y'all have. So does it uh, how how was how did it start and how does it work on a day to day basis? Okay, um, so. I feel like every time I, I start one of these, I'm like, so our, our code name for this, uh, the way that we describe this is open source by default. So this is like a project that the CTO and I worked on roughly for five years um, to go from uh, you know, being like a relatively normal type of company where you write code and that code is kept private uh, unless there's a very good reason, unless you can find a library to take out of it. Um, to the point where you have to argue in favor of, of like writing code in private now. Um, so the adoption of that was like incremental. So first it was like we ship enough libraries that like we felt like a lot of our code was already out there um, to eventually starting to you know send messages to our C-level executives saying we're going to start open sourcing a bunch of these like basically critical path projects in the app. And now we're at a point where every single thing that you as a user have probably ever seen at Artsy was available as open source from day one. Um, we, we had to build a bunch of projects to, um, to like make that work. So for a good example of this is like uh, in the web, you generally use a .env there, uh, file to keep track of your environment variables so that they're kept private and not in your source code. But that sort of thing didn't even exist in iOS. Like it, kind of is hard to do, right? Because you bundle it into a single app that you then ship off to Apple. So how do you have environment variables and things like that? So we had to build a version of a .env generator that works at a package manager level because it's really hard to, to build these kind of, this kind of infrastructure otherwise. Um, so we're just a bunch of people that care strongly about the idea that open source is one of the best ways to actually write things. Uh, so sometimes that is like, you know, if you if you consider your app to be like part of the open source community, then everything you depend on is part of your app. So, like when we adopted React Native, we actually started working on React Native to try and reduce the number of JavaScript dependencies it had, because we would have done that with our own app. Uh, like, you know, there, there's just you know, I, you want to be able to understand as much of the of, of of everything in your app as possible. So that is just one angle of attack. Um, we, we say that uh, we try to own our dependencies. So when I talked earlier about the idea of an artsy omikaze, so uh, th that's Japanese for like the chef decides. Um, all of the things that we have said, uh, things that we use, so that the, the omikaze I think is, uh, is TypeScript, Relay, Styled Components, uh, VS Code, uh, maybe two or three other things. But, oh, Jest. Oh, I love Jest. Um, all of those projects are things that we contribute to, uh, pay attention to in the sense of like we're either on the core dev teams like Slacks or we go to working groups, we contribute code back to. We consider them a part of our project and we will spend product time on improving them if we think that that is just as valuable as improving our product because that infrastructure work 
like it has to get done by someone and you could wait for someone else to do it, but that's completely unpredictable and you don't get the relationship value out of it. The React Native conference I mentioned earlier, <laughs> didn't even give the name, uh, which is Artsy X React Native. Um, that is actually because of relationships that we have with the React Native team themselves. And we did that because we shipped code back, talked to them, get like worked on Jest with them for a while to get like VS Code integration done. And like those are things that require like a, a bit of a personal time, a bit of like persuading product managers and your bosses that this is like actually valuable to the company. Um, but a lot of that is just not hard if you can describe the problem correctly and describe how it is a blocker on X. And if we can do that faster, then we can do this faster. And you know, it's not all spending all day contributing to other people's projects, but the contributing to other people's projects will inevitably contribute to your own stuff eventually. And so we have a very uh, open approach to working in the open. And uh, it, it, it's worked out really well for us, both in the aspect of building our own apps and letting people know that this you know, relatively small in the scale of things startup is like both interesting to work at and an interesting domain that we're working on. I end up feeling like I, I'm like monologuing for ages sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't like answer the question I was going to ask. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, I can just continue for another hour on this stuff. But um, so you talked about the last uh, couple of years that uh, you know at RT and what you've been doing with React Native. But I'm kind of uh, curious about the future. Like, what are you planning on over the next year? Is it just going to be uh, more of the same? Do you have any specific? differences that you're going to kind of uh, be implementing, I guess. And, um, and do you have any thoughts about if uh, the new React Native uh, release or whatever, when they implement these new changes, if it's like a breaking change about like how you might implement some of that stuff in such a uh, like large existing application? So as very prominent members of the Native community doing React Native, uh, Facebook reached out to us uh, around CocoaPod support. Um, which is kind of convenient because two of us worked on it for a very long time. Um, because like some of the things that Facebook care about, uh, well, the React Native team inside Facebook care about is like the perspective of native engineers on React Native. And when they see the level of hacks required to pull off CocoaPods support, like for a lot of people, that's just like, close to being unacceptable. You're already about to adopt a technology that you may think is already a bit sketchy. And then you look at this like set of instructions which, which, which are fine on the readme, but the moment you put it into a real app, it becomes a whole different ballgame. Like I built a CocoaPods plugin to the dependency manager to fix like React Native support when it's downloaded onto your, to your, to your hard drive in order to automate, to, you know, automate that problem away. Um, but you know there are better structural answers rather than building a plugin to dependency manager to fix like support for this sort of thing. So I think uh, this year is really going to be about like Artsy is we're, for the first time we're starting to put um, engineers that work on front end tools inside our platform team. So part of that is like you know if some of our centralized front end owned servers go down, like who do we <laughs> blame? Uh, that is my, that is now myself. Um, and but it's also the aim of that team to make sure the kind of structural integrity of all our apps makes sense too. And so fixing CocoaPods support in React Native fits under that domain. 
um, as well as like trying to increase adoption with native engineers in general. I feel like the more people from the native side we can, you know, get understanding the value of React Native, the more likely we'll be to get code shipped back from them to React Native, making it more stable, making it work for more edge cases, making it feel better for people that build like we build. Like I don't consider I consider like the artsy way of building React Native apps to be like an edge case in comparison to the massive amount of web engineers coming to React Native. I think the right metaphor or simile or whatever to use is like, you know, React Native is built because web engineers can contribute to native apps. But very few very little like air quotes resources is put to iOS engineers that think that React Native might be a better way to build a native app. Because for, for iOS engineers, we can already do all that. And like app, you know, you stay within the sort of Apple ecosystem, which means you have a relative set of stability there. You know exactly what to do because Apple will tell you what to do instead of you having to go off into the JavaScript buffet and try and figure out what how to build an app from all these crazy like small modules that need to be put together into an interesting way. But you come from the web, you're like, damn, I can make an app now, and like you have you have you have so much potential in that space. Whereas for native engineers, you're coming in and you're like, okay, so I already have the potential to build whatever I want over there. Why should I be using this at all for its cooling complexity, for its like abstraction complexity to learn, for the fact that it's not the way that Apple want you to be building things? Like, so it is very reasonable for native engineers to look at this stuff and if the, if the integration is even a slightly bit sketchy, just be like, nope. Not even trying this. If I can't install it via a library dependency manager that like 80% of all iOS use, why should I even think that this is going to work for me? So we're, we're trying to address those kind of things. That's such a good point. <laughs> um, and like that, yeah, again, it's like it's selfish in that I want it to work better because then more people will contribute. Um, but it's, you know, a selfish, positive thing for the community because then everybody gets to be a little bit happier, hopefully. And, and an ideal state really is that there is very little difference between an iOS, a web, and an Android engineer. And that like th there are spaces where they are much better at different things, for sure, but that there's a lot of shared code in there that just doesn't need to be unique because it's just the domain problem of taking JSON and turning it into a user interface. It's not that hard. Um, you know, what, what I've seen um, working with some of these companies when we're doing um, trainings and stuff, uh, we've almost found like that once the native engineers kind of became comfortable with, with uh, React Native, they were much more, um, I wouldn't say much, much more efficient, but they were able to, to, to uh, have a much broader like set of skills that they could work in a React Native environment. Because once they learn React Native, it's kind of... Uh, like once they learn React, it's kind of um, like, you know, it doesn't take them that long to learn that. But then they can go into the native side and bridge things when they need to, or they, or they, they understand like why things may not be working the way they're supposed to, whereas the JavaScript developer coming from the web, uh, we don't understand the native side. So we're just like lost at first until we start kind of, kind of making an effort to learn. So um, I, I, would, I would even say it's like, if you're a native developer and um, you're listening, it's, it's actually uh, like, you're not gonna lose your skill set. In fact, you're just gonna be adding a massive, uh, you know, additional skill set. So you'll be able to add another platform, but also you'll become like another platform as an Android or, or iOS, uh, vice versa. But also the React Native platform. 
Yeah, and you get to be a mentor to all these people that are going to be able to contribute to what is effectively your co-base. And that just great career growth, great potential for yourself. It's fabulous. Yeah, I uh, I agree that when you when you understand the the, the 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 core of the system and the and the platform you are working with, when you go back to the higher abstraction, you are actually much more skilled. Uh, I I really like uh, understanding. So I've been working with web for for the last year. So the more you understand about the a browser, how a browser works, how uh, the DOM works how an HTTP request works, the better I, I believe I am in my React code <laughs> over there. And when something goes wrong, you, you know like where to start looking for, for, for the answers because when you have an abstraction, you also have that layer that when something goes wrong, you need to understand what's underneath it to, to even to correct uh, your, <laughs> your, your part on that. So uh, one thing that, that I found myself uh, playing with React Native, Native by, by myself in, in side projects was a little bit, uh, it was difficult for me, was not having the knowledge of the native side when something goes wrong. So I understand that the, the native knowledge is still, must be still like very valuable even in a React Native situation. Yeah, like um, I've given talks at like, you know, Fortune 100, companies to like to their web teams about react native and i'm like where are the native engineers in this room because you and you if you are like that level of company that wants to be shipping an app of the level of quality that i would expect you to be wanting to ship you just can't realistically do it without like at least one or two native engineers that want to be along for the ride to like say okay this is how we can bridge to this thing and you might not even known that thing existed um, and to provide like really great abstractions to really like lift the team up into an entirely like higher level of quality software quality. Ah, uh, plus one that so much. I always recommend that, especially with enterprise companies or Fortune 500 companies, but really within company if possible. And if you don't have a native engineer, find one that you can hire as a consultant that can come on board and, and help you sometimes. Um, and if you need one, I know a couple. <laughs> yeah. And like juniors are also a great option for that too. Like you don't have to be like a, a, a super, super expert in the native side. You just have to have a good breadth of knowledge. And like someone that's come out of a boot camp for iOS may actually have more or less enough and the ability to go and learn that unique piece themselves. So there's a lot of space there if you are looking for new people to do that too. Yeah, one, one domain that, that I find is really interesting is like forms, simple forms. Like I'm writing a, a web form in React. Knowing how a form works in the DOM is like super valuable for your React form. I imagine the same thing must happen for an iOS. Knowing how to build a simple native form in iOS by hand must, must make your React native form like much better than just, you know, it's funny, there isn't even a form in, in native. There's, no, there's not like a, a, an element like that. You literally have to create it all from scratch. Like I had to do that in React Native recently and was like trying to figure this out. There was a better abstraction. And like realistically, the web abstraction is the right one. It just doesn't mm -hmm. exist in, in native at all. This is really interesting. Yeah. Um, we're kind of getting close on time and um, I have a meeting I have to get to at one o'clock. Uh, if you guys want to continue on, I can. Um, just jump off without doing the picks, but if not, we can wrap up in the next couple of minutes if that's all right. I'm chill. Is there anything that you wanted to kind of go over that we haven't talked about, Orda? 
Nah, the closest, like the only thing that was on my to-do list that I didn't dig into in depth is like the idea of like merging our React Native and React code. But honestly, part of that's still very prototypical and like we're not there yet. So I can't give any real strong opinions other than that this is a direction that we're doing today. <laughs> so I'm okay with not. So like universal applications where you're basically writing a, uh, a more or less a single code base that goes to web and, and, and native? Yeah, as close to that as possible. Like we don't, I talk a lot about iOS. We don't have an Android app. Two of these screens are like things that are blockers on Android, but we want to build them on web first and then migrate them to mobile. And then once they're on mobile, then we will, like that migration to mobile will be the part where we try to make them universal. Now, this is a, this is a tough problem. <laughs> yes. I can only imagine. But again, it, two and a half years to get to this point. So we've been taking it very slow, doing it very incrementally. Uh, but we've got some smart brains on the problem. Well, I just want to say thank you from uh, someone in the React Native community because I think Artsy for sure has been lit, like one of the leaders as far as not only um, raising awareness about React Native, but actually contributing to all the different projects that are out there and, and, and improving it and making it better for everyone. Because uh, there's, there's, there's a handful of companies uh, like, like Artsy that are out there. And without those companies, uh, we definitely wouldn't be um, as, like, I guess, progressed from where we were uh, to where we are now. So um, and I know you're leading that effort, so thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. It, again, it improves our own app considerably to do all of this stuff. So like, find a way, anybody listening, to align yourself with the open source community, and everybody improves. So I think we'll go ahead and get to the picks. So Lucas, do you have a pick today? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now, and it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter DevChat in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Yeah, so in the, in the vein of knowing our platform, even you are working on higher, uh, on higher level uh, abstractions, my pick today is the MDN docs for web uh, it's just amazing. It's so well written. It's like every time I go there, I, I, you just remember the basics. It's so good. Like when you are, if you are mentoring, it's a super valuable tool. So MDN docs, a hundred thousand collapse or down. Yeah. It's also good for all like the very specific, like API stuff, like, and whether it's compatible on which browsers. It's amazing. Awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, like, oh, how, what is this thing on the new fetch response? It's all there. And it's so well explained. And, the, and all the tutorials and stuff. 
So yeah, I, I I wonder if there is like something similar to that for for native uh, platforms or something like that. Maybe. <laughs> so that's my pick today. Order, do you have any picks? Am I allowed two? Yes, totally. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so one is one is program related. One is semi programming related. So the program-related one is actually um, a Webpack core contributor, Tobias Coppers. Um, he's been working on a VS Code extension that will show you the TypeScript-inferred types in JavaScript uh, in your editor at, at runtime. So, so you can like so every now and again we have to touch JavaScript projects that haven't been turned to TypeScript yet. Uh, that's as that's not quite as fun as I would like it to be. Um, <laughs> so this actually does solve a real problem that I have. Um, I don't quite know what the name of the VS Code extension is, but I know that this person's uh, Twitter handle is WSOKRA, and he's been talking about it lately on Twitter. Um, and the second one is uh, a non-for-profit that I've been working with for the last four years. Um, they're New York City-based. They're called Coalition for Queens. And it's effectively like a boot camp for uh, people not well represented in tech mm -hmm. that costs nothing to get started. And it's nine months long. So it's like a proper nine to five thing. Um, and they're about to open up for the next year. So if you are listening and haven't really quite learned to program yet, in your own opinion, you could you could be, who knows, um, you should take a look at c4q.nyc. Uh, Sia, do you have any picks? Yeah, um, I'll do two, but I'll make them small. Uh, one is, I don't think I did this before, but styled, styled components. And I'm happy that uh, <laughs> you guys use it too. But it's just amazing. I can write CSS or Basically, I can copy CSS from my older apps for components that I like to use um, from when I didn't use, um, when I used to use SAS on projects. But now, um, yeah, it's just CSS. And it, the way it helps you compartmentalize, it's my favorite way to do it. Um, yeah, pretty awesome. Oh, and my second one, really quick, is um, I'm really excited about there's this thing called Web Summer Camp, and it's in Croatia. And both Nader and I, I think, are both <laughs> speaking there. And I think it just sounds amazing to like learn things and be in Croatia at the beach. So <laughs> check that out too. Very cool. That's great. Style components. 100% of our code here at ZocDoc style components. Yeah. Oh wow, we, cool. Yeah, we contribute back to to it too. Like we, there was some uh, streaming. Uh, capabilities that we contribute back so now we can stream our server-side rendered code with tile components so it's really good really amazing so I have a couple of picks um, the first one is uh, AWS Amplify is a project that I work on at, uh, at AWS we just added a new um, feature to the uh, SDK um, it's basically an interactions category, so it allows you to really easily set up conversational bots on front-end applications. So this works with uh, React and React Native. It also works with Angular, Ionic, all these other frameworks. So basically, um, it's an API to easily create these conversational bots. And um, it's, it's before was uh, kind of convoluted to create this, this UI and, and work with these APIs. We kind of streamlined it to make it pretty easy. So now you can do authentication, push notifications, storage, all this other stuff as well, just from a single um, SDK. Um, the other is uh, the uh, RT Engineering blog, since Ord is on here. Uh, they always have a lot of good stuff. Uh, you can just Google 
actually it's artsy.github.io, but you can just Google the artsy engineering blog if you're um, kind of uh, looking for that. And then the last thing is uh, I published today a uh, open source project. It's actually an open source app that I built um, and it uses GraphQL with AWS AppSync and Amplify with user authentication and authorization. So it's basically kind of like a Twitter, uh, a Twitter type of app where you can like tweet and follow people and unfollow people. And it's actually like uh, from the ground up. So you have everything from uh, user authorization, um, like signing up and um, it kind of walks you through how to set up those services. And um, it's, uh, it's, we've had a few requests for kind of like an enterprise real world application built from, um, from the ground up. And this has all that. It also has some really nice styling and stuff. I've been working on it for quite a while, so I was happy to release it today. Uh, so my GitHub is just Dabit3, D-A-B-I-T-3. Um, if you're interested in that, it's React Native, so definitely check it out. Okay, Orda, thanks for coming on the show today. It was really nice to talk to you again, and um, we enjoyed having you on. Thanks. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of React Roundup, and we'll see everyone next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.